We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Notre Dame fans, we have some beef today, Vince and I. <laughs> we have beef today. So I'm on day three of my no pop and no Mountain Dew trying to get healthier kick. And as we're playing the 30-second intro, Vince is down there dancing while chugging on a giant can of Coke. Not cool, man. <laughs> Not cool at all. Just trying to make me stronger. Is that what you're doing, Vince? Well, see, what the yeah. people don't know is when I'm at school, I don't usually have uh, carbonated beverages, mm -hmm. and you used to. And so you would get your big glass of Mountain Dew, and you'd be drink, which is also I, my favorite I drink. I hid that it was Mountain Dew. I put it in and, a cup. Well, and you would me. drink it, and you'd be like, ah. Okay. Okay, I did do that, so I guess so, I kind of deserve it. So let's get some Notre Dame football. So, yeah, so I do deserve it. Let's get to some Notre let's Dame go. football. So welcome, everybody. Sorry we're a little bit late. We had some technical difficulties getting started, but here we are for our Friday mailbag, uh, and we are fired up, man. I love Fridays. This is, this is my favorite day of the week thus far. And uh, we are going to kick things off a little bit differently than normal, Brian. Um, you're hearing a few things team-wise, some, yeah. some insider tips, if you sure. will. And I'm going to let you kick things off uh, with that before we jump into uh, some of the questions and things. It's nothing earth-shattering, just some things I've been able to gather talking yeah. to different people. Number mm -hmm. one is Jarrett Patterson is supposed to uh, be getting some – he's supposed to be getting on the path to recovery here at, maybe today – uh, kind of getting some things taken out and getting on that path. He's going to be limited in the spring. But the one thing I did hear about him is that it does look like they are going to try to move him to left tackle. Yeah. That that is something they're going to try. It's not necessarily written in stone. 
especially <laughs> if he's going to be limited in the spring. There's always a chance that somebody could really step up and look great there and say, hey, look, we're, we're comfortable with, you know, so-and-so, Tosh Baker, Andrew Christophic, Quinn Carroll, somebody like that, Blake Fisher, whoever, uh, could look good there, and they would end up putting him back inside. But as of right now, the plan is that they are going to try to put him inside. Another thing that I've heard is that um, offensively, I've heard Jack Cohn during team drills and during workouts and during seven-on-sevens has looked really good. There's a lot of people that are impressed with how well he throws the ball. Good. He's good. shown a lot of command. You know, as far as like organizing workouts and, and showing early leadership, which is good, but not forcing it. You know, yeah, it's been a right. natural thing. Uh, and, and then, of course, two receivers that I keep hearing, no matter who I talk to, that are really looking good during. Again, these are these are just during seven on sevens and workouts sure. and things like that. They haven't had a single practice yet. I think they're going to start practice about a week from today. Um, and maybe next weekend, I've heard two different dates. I've heard 27th, 25th uh, as the two dates for work, you know, official spring practice. So okay. nothing official. This is like just the players working out together that Jordan Johnson and Lorenzo Styles have both really looked good. And I've heard about Lorenzo Styles from multiple people and not from a, wow, for a freshman, he looks really good, but just that like, yeah, he's he looks really good. good. Yeah. Right. Uh, There's no caveat that he's right. a freshman. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, and it doesn't surprise me. I mean, we talked about him. He was a top hundred recruit on our grading system. He was the number three offensive recruit in this class behind Tyler Buckner and Blake Fisher. So I'm not surprised, but he that's good to see. And Jordan Johnson's looked good. He's staying, you know, keeping his head on straight and doing things that we know he's capable of doing. And then I've also heard that Xavier Watts is actually going to be working at the W, not Jordan Johnson, uh, for the beginning of spring. Now we'll see how long that lasts, but it's I think it's more of a just moving guys around, trying to get guys comfortable is really where I see this kind of being. And I don't know how healthy Kevin Austin is going to be this spring with the foot injury. So they sure. just they need some guys there, and Xavier's a big, strong kid. So that is where – that is kind of some of the stuff we've heard. Again, nothing earth-shattering, nothing that we're, we're, we're saying, oh, gosh, this is, this is incredible. But uh, – oh, and I do expect both Ryan Barnes and Philip Riley to start in the boundary, not be the starters, but to both start in the boundary and then kind of see which one of those two guys uh, really emerges. Okay. And then the other guy would then go compete somewhere else potentially, um, unless Cam Hart doesn't step up and then like they're both going to be playing the boundary. Yeah. Uh, so that really like what they've seen from the two freshmen early enrollees so far as well. So those those are just a couple little nuggets that we've gathered so far from spring practice or not from spring practice, but from winter workouts pre spring practice. And uh, we'll try to we'll try to let you guys know. And I and I am told that they're that the plan is they're hoping to have a blue gold game. I yes. the only debate that I'm hearing right now is is who's going to be allowed to be there. Well, and. I, I did hear that same thing about the blue gold game. Um, you know, they right now they're only allowing what parents, special guests and things like that to spring sporting events. But they mm -hmm. said the blue gold game, they haven't decided yet. So right. is it going to be family members only? Is it going to be open to the public, to the media? I just hope they have it. I mean, if they don't let us let fans be there, then I understand that because you can televise it. But, televised, you know, I yeah. I think it'd be good for the kids to kind of have that and to have parents there at least at the very least. So that would be good. So anyway, so that's the little bit of just a few tidbits. I'm going to keep digging, keep trying to find out, you know, what I'm hearing. But but I was glad to hear about Jack Cohn kind of taking that, taking the bull by the horn, so to speak. And that sure. he's really impressed people with how well he throws the football. And, and you know, you know my stance on that, Vince. That's a guy that, that, that's a guy that I think is going to win the quarterback job. And I do think he's got a chance to be a very good player. I think in Notre Dame's offense – <clears throat> excuse me, it, especially if they open things up a little bit, 
I think he could he could put up some really impressive numbers. I think he's a much better quarterback than you might think based on his numbers. I think that has more to do with the Wisconsin offense than it does with him, especially when you look at how much better his numbers were than every other quarterback since Russell Wilson. I mean, I don't think anybody was within five percentage points of his completion percentage in 2019, and that was against – you know, had to play Ohio State twice, had to play Oregon in the Rose Bowl, and played Michigan's defense, you know, that team that beat Notre Dame by 35 – um, you know, so you know, beat Penn, you know, had to play Penn State, had to play Minnesota on the road. Minnesota's a top ten team, so he wasn't playing a bunch of cupcakes either. You right. know, he was out right. there playing good teams and and completed almost seventy percent of his passes in an offense where a lot of the other starting quarterbacks were below sixty percent and you know barely over sixty percent. He was at sixty nine, and he did he wasn't exactly surrounded by the world's greatest weapon. So it was good sure. to see, good to hear that you know how he's made that transition so far. So that was encouraging. Well, one of your uh, your tidbits had to do with the wide receivers. So I, I want to start. Um, I want to start with a question that we got kind of. I don't know if you want to call it off the air before we before the show. The show. Um, and it came from uh, from Ryan, and um, it, it, he wants you to explain the difference between the W, the X, the Y, the uh, the, the different wide receiver positions within the Notre Dame offense. And then maybe, you know, what are the characteristics of the guys that you put into those positions? Well, first of all, and, and I'm going to, as we're talking here, I'm going to try to see if I can pull up uh, a game from last year to, to kind of show this on the screen. But the W is, it's first of all, the W, X, and the Z primarily, first and foremost, the thing you have to understand about it is it tells people where to line up. Right. So when you call a formation, whether it's, you know, three by one, two by two, whatever the case may be, Guys have to know, okay, I'm the W because that's going to tell them where to line up. And that it also is going to help you understand what your route responsibilities are going to be within each play. So you're going to, you know, you're going to call a play. We're calling smash or the backside, you know, post dig. You've got to know, am I the X? Am I the Z? Am I the W? Because it's sure. going to tell me if I'm front side, if I'm boundary, or whatever the case may be. And then that's going to determine who who lines up where. So uh, those, those are the things that, that I look for, uh, first and foremost, to explain who, who does what. And, and so that's, that's the first thing that you have to understand about those positions is, um, is it just tells people who, who's going to line up where. And so W is the boundary position. The X is the field outside position. And then the Z is the slot position. Right. And so those, that's kind of how those, how those things look from an alignment standpoint. And so, now, the specific what you look for, the W is usually a guy that's going to be bigger because you want a guy that can win one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't have to be a bigger guy, but usually it is a, a bigger guy that at least has an impressive catch radius. With Because of how Notre Dame runs their offense, it's a lot of, it's a lot of back shoulders. It's a lot of go routes. It's a lot of work in the middle of the field on some post digs and some drags and things along those lines, some corner routes, things that require – just a bigger catch radius and, yeah. and being, and more importantly, being able to win in one-on-ones because as we've talked about with the boundary corner, you're not usually going to give as much help to the boundary corner. You're, you're going to have your better corner there because especially against Notre Dame, because teams, if, unless a team is just left, right by who they are, they're going to have their best corner in the boundary because Notre Dame's not a tempo team. So they're going to have a boundary corner. Right. Uh, because because the only thing that gets you out of being field boundary is tempo. Well, Notre Dame doesn't really push the tempo on team. So the boundary corners got a, or boundary receivers a lot of times going to go against the other team's 
best corner or at least the most physical corner. Right. It's big, it's big on big, if you will. Usually. Uh, and usually. Or, or and usually good on good as well. Right. So you've got to be able to win those contested throws. And if you think of some of the big plays that Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin and even last year Javon McKinley against Clemson, some of the big plays he made were were contested throws. They weren't I'm wide open. They were, hey, I got to go outplay that guy for the football. To the field, you know, he, he says it, it's with the X, it's you, you want a guy that can be a good route runner. He's got to be able to to have some – you ideally like a guy that can do things after the catch. Now, last year, obviously, Notre Dame didn't really have that. You know, Ben Scron, it wasn't really a guy that was going to do things after the catch. He was more of a, a route precise route runner kind of type, type of guy. This is a guy ideally you want to be able to have to stretch the field. You want him to be able to take the top off the defense. You, you, if, if in an ideal world – if your outside X can be a Will Fuller type, because that's what Will Fuller played at Notre Dame. You had Chris Brown mo- mostly right. in the boundary. Will Fuller was normally to the field. If you can have a guy that can take that post route over the top, then that and if you have to respect that as a defense, then that's going to put you in a situation where now there's a little bit more room to work for your slot and for your tight ends because you you have that burner that can take the top off the defense. That's why we've seen Braden Lindsay play that position more often than not. Um, Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin. Uh, were the two outside guys in 2018. And so the reason you had Chase Claypool to the field and Miles to the boundary, even though Chase was the boundary guy in 2019, is because Chase was better after the catch. And he was more of a pure vertical player. Miles Miles could get vertical, but it was with this kind of a size. And, and But sure. Chase could actually you know just out outrun you and outplay you a little bit more. His game speed, to me, was better than Miles Boykin, even though Miles had a – I think hundreds of a second faster 40 time at the combine. And, and that's Chase why you want faster. to give them more room to work. That's why you put them on the right. field side. Just right. Like, now at, at Alabama, you'll see Devonte Smith line up all over the place, you know, and ideally that's where you'd like to be. You'd like to be able to kind of move your guys around based on game plans and matchups and things like that. But Notre Dame doesn't do quite as much of that. Uh, and, and so when, when you also look at it, the, the, the Z, that's where we've seen the greatest diversity at Notre Dame. 2017, the starting Z was Chase Claypool. In 2019 and 2018, the starting Z was Chris Fink. You, you couldn't right. get a more That's different a type of yes. body type and players. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, how that is used depends on the player. With Chase Claypool, it, he was a great blocker. He was a guy that would work the middle of the field, the deep stuff, you know, a lot of drags, a lot of deep end cuts. He would, he would kind of run a lot of seam routes. Chris Fink, it was more about, you know, option routes and slants and and things where he can work himself open because he was a really good route runner. Uh, that's something that's important. I, I don't think you necessarily need to have a small guy at the slot. I think you can be effective uh, with a bigger player as long as he's got some quickness and he can win at the line of scrimmage. Because what you're going to do more, first and foremost with your slot defenders against the Z is you want to jam and reroute. And if you have, don't have a guy that's a good route runner or a guy that can't, you know, I mean, even big guys can get jammed and rerouted if they don't know how to run routes. You have to have someone that's quick enough to win at the line and win against those reroutes because if you can jam up the Z, a lot of times that's going to throw off the whole timing of the pass concept right. because you're running some sort of layered concept. And if that guy's thrown off, then then it kind of throws off the, the timing. And one of the issues Notre Dame had last year in the pass game is the spacing a lot of times was off. You guys would be way too condensed, and a lot of that was because they didn't have guys that were great at winning off the off the line. Especially, you know, Ben Skronik was just not great at winning off the line. So there were a lot of times where they would just get too condensed, which makes it easier for the because now one guy can play two. You know, one uh, one uh, zone defender can play two guys. 
So that kind of explains it. If you have, a, I mean, if you have two guys that can be good after the catch, that's great to have at Z and X. You don't necessarily need them to, you know, if you just have one, it doesn't have to be the X or the Z. It's just whoever it can be. You can do things like in 2017, for example, Chase Claypool was the Z, but when they would run some of their, their, um, you know, their perimeter screens, they would just kind of invert and have him block. Or you could move them around and stack. There's a lot of different things you can do in order to get, um, you know, your outside guy the ball in space if you need it, if your Z is not a guy that can can really play that. But ultimately, I'd like to see them do more things where in a lot of offenses, Vince, you know this, they'll teach you have to know it all. You know, you may start off as a W, but eventually want to get you to where you could do different things because that Absolutely. gives you so much more diversity because you could then come out one series and just go big, and you've got, like, Kevin Austin in the the boundary. You've got Jordan Johnson and, and you know, Deion Colsey to the field or vice versa. Or next series you could come out and you have Xavier Watts in the boundary and you've got Lorenzo Styles and Avery Davis out there, and you're much smaller and faster. But you, yep. as long as guys understand the whole concept and what – what team good teams and I don't know if Notre Dame does this or not honestly uh I'm not saying they do or don't but for me what you ideally want to do is you want to have have where you teach concepts you know you don't teach this is you as a boundary this is the concept and the number one outside guy runs this concept and or this route in this concept the number two guy has to run this route this concept The, the backside number one has to run this con this route within this concept so then if you move guys around, you understand the entire concept. Number one, it gives you more versatility. But number two, when guys have a greater understanding of the whole concept, they know what they can and can't do Correct. on their route. Hey, yes. I, right. I can't cheat on this route to get open because if I go two extra yards deeper to get I open, mean, then I'm now right. getting underneath yeah. that guy's route. And that's yep. So those are the reasons that you need to do that. I would imagine Notre Dame teaches that way. When I say I don't know, it's simply I, I have no idea. It's not saying I don't know because they don't look like they teach it that way. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that. Do you want to hit that other uh, question we had prior, or do you want to hit one of the new ones? Brian? Let's get some, let's get some of these new ones. All right, let's see here. Let me. You know what? I'm going to go with the very first one, the one we talked about before we uh, we got on about uh, MT41 says Jalen Sneed, uh, crystal balled to ND. I I don't know if that's a question, if that's a statement, but I'm going to let you. Uh, do your thing on this one, Brian. And uh, I'm going to step out just for a second because I have to return a phone call that apparently is <laughs> super important. Uh, so I will be right back and I will let you explain this. Sounds good. So what you're referring to there is uh, MT41 said, uh, we'll show it again. Anna Hickey, who runs the 247 Clemson site, uh, crystal balled, I believe, today, Jalen Sneed to Notre Dame. Now, that's important because Clemson obviously is a player for Jalen Sneed and he's from South Carolina. And I don't know Annie Hickey to be someone who throws crystal balls out, you know, kind of willy-nilly, to use a, an old person term. Uh, so if she's doing that, that's a great sign. Now, I wrote an article yesterday uh, at irishbreakdown.com where I mentioned Jalen Sneed in my What's Next article for linebacker recruiting. And I said Notre Dame's pushing for him. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that they're in it. But if, if, if she's hearing that Notre Dame is leading for him or could potentially get him, that's huge news for Notre Dame. He is an extremely talented linebacker, highly ranked linebacker. And to go into South Carolina and get a guy that that is is wanted by several SEC schools and is a guy that is considered one of the best linebackers in the country, 
that would be a huge recruiting win. Now, I'm not saying that I'm hearing that because I'm not, but honestly, I haven't I haven't really had a conversation about Jalen Sneed um, in a couple weeks, so I, I couldn't tell you if she's accurate or not. I Again, I, I don't know Anna to just – throw things like that out there without having some some good reason to do so i've that you know she used to cover notre dame for 247 sports didn't know her real well but knew her a little bit but but she kind of had a reputation of if she was going to make a prediction she she had good reason to do so uh so i found that it be interesting and this is a kid that you know rivals ranks as the number 63 player in the country this is a kid that 247 Sports ranks as the number 97 player in the country. This is a very, very talented football player. He's got offer lists. You know, Alabama has offered him. Florida's offered him. Florida State's offered him. Michigan's offered him. Oklahoma, Oregon, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, USC, Virginia, Virginia Tech. So this is a kid that's got offers from all over the country. And if he's looking at Notre Dame that seriously, that's that's huge. But this is what we've been talking about all along, right? It's this, it's this Marcus Freeman effect of, he is willing to a fight for top players and b is connecting with them. Look, you're you're never going to get a kid like that if you don't try, right? And that's been one of my issues with these guys in the past is they just don't even compete for some of those guys, or they're so late to the dance. So I think the fact that that Marcus Freeman is making this push and Notre Dame seems to be doing well is a is a is a great sign in my opinion, Vince. So while we're talking here, Vince, and asking a few more questions, let's uh, let's just show some highlights of Jalen Sneed here. These are sophomore highlights of him playing linebacker. I'm putting the sophomore highlights up because his junior film is of him. This is from Huddle. His junior film of him is him playing defensive end <laughs> at 6'1", 210 pounds, and just blasting people. Uh, so it's very interesting film to watch. But he's a very talented player. And if, if Notre Dame is legitimately that much of a contender, I mean, I knew they liked him. I knew they were pushing for him. But it was one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, that's going to be a tough one. A top Believe 100 player from South it. Yeah, yeah, when was the last time Notre Dame got a top 100 player from South Carolina? I think the last guy they got from South Carolina, period, was Chris Brown in the 2012 wow. class, I believe. I can't wow. think of another player from South Carolina that Notre Dame has landed since then. Uh, you know, So it's not a state that they go and get very – I know Everett Golson was from South Carolina, but it's not a state they normally have a great deal of success landing players. So it just – again, it just goes to show that the Marcus Freeman effect is, is – uh, is is alive and well and it's a it's a yeah. great sign for notre dame and it, it's a shaping up to be a just a great great linebacker class we actually got asked a question i got asked a question before the show and uh you know about the linebacker class and about you know how good that class that group can be and and, and look th there there is there's probably five, seven or eight guys on the board right now that if notre dame got any combination of those seven or eight, it's going to make for an outstanding class. I mean, you, you just have to be impressed with what Notre Dame is doing at uh, defensive recruiting. I mean, it, it is really, really impressive to see to see what this class is doing. And, and Jalen Sneed is one of those guys that could be that game changer. Saban James just said Troy Pride. I forgot all about that one. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. Saban James did, said that. So um, I can't believe I forgot about Troy Pride from Greer, South Carolina. Uh, that's not good. But still, it's not a lot. And Troy Pride was part of the 2016 class. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where we're at with them. So that's, that's some clips you've seen of Jalen Sneed. This kid is a flat-out ball player. Um, that, that would be a big one. And he's the kind of guy that you don't you don't tell him to hold off because you're waiting on somebody else. Right. If he wants to come, you say, okay, 
let's do this. All right, Brian, let's go. Uh, it just says Facebook user, which is is okay. Uh, but it's well, still that's good. not their fault. So for right. whatever no, no, no. reason, not their um, fault. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. So for whatever reason, when people are um, are so that is from that is from Terry Tyler. Oh, so there you it, go. it's it's not translating from Facebook to the Our, chat for some reason. You. So okay. yeah, that's from Terry Tyler. All right. Well, Terry says, do you guys think we will see any freshman running backs uh, see any playing time? And if so, who might that be? Yeah, I think we'll see them. I think we could see both of them at some point in time. I, you know, again, I, that's what I love about the new the new redshirt rule because you can play up to four games and, and still redshirt. I, I yeah. think that, you know, Sebo Flemister did some nice things last year, but I don't think it's a situation where he is locked into that number three spot. I, mm-hmm. I think the freshman will get an opportunity to come in and challenge him. And and he's gonna you know, he's gonna have to battle to to play. But even if even if he does play well, you're still gonna see a fourth back at some point in time. I mean, we've seen it almost every year at Notre Dame where the third and fourth running backs are gonna get 15, 20 carries during the course of the season. And and I also think there's some merit to kind of having a niche role for one of those big guys if they can prove themselves. And you know, when you, when you look at you know a guy like Audric Estime, he's six foot six one 215 pounds he's a big thick kid you know i could see him being a you know goal line short yardage guy if you want to take a little bit of that wear and tear off of kyron williams i could see a scenario where you want to get real creative and put kyron williams at, at the tailback and put audrick estime or logan Diggs as the running back to kind of be a lead blocker or you can run some read zone stuff with if you want to get creative you guys know we're all about you know just having some fun of being creative and I can see Logan Diggs being a guy that early in his career becomes a weapon on third down, especially in two back sets, because he's six foot, he's over 200 pounds, he's got great feet, he's a good pass blocker, and he's a really good pass catcher. So um, those guys are going to have a chance to come in and play legitimate snaps uh, this year. I mean, and, and if you look at like 2018, for example, Notre Dame had four running backs with at least 22 carries. He had three running backs with at least 72 carries that year. So if one of those guys is able to beat out Sebo Flemister, then then they're going to get they're going to get carries. And you look at 2017, Josh Adams had 206 carries, Deion McIntosh had 65, Dexter Williams had 39, and Tony Jones Jr. had 44. So you had four backs with at least 39 carries. So um, I could certainly see a scenario in which you have a third and potentially a fourth running back. And if you get to four, it's definitely going to be a freshman. Right. Um, and and so, yeah, I could see I could see those guys playing and, and running backs just are guys you rarely want to redshirt anyway. I, I mean, when was the last time you saw a fifth year running back really do a whole lot? I mean, Tony Jones would, would have been. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The guy that I'm, of course, the Tony Jones are going to come back for a fifth year. Nope. He still went pro. So I just, I don't see, see that as being, unless a guy is undersized or maybe making a position change. You know, he was a receiver, but, you know, or, or linebacker right. or something, you know, whatever. Uh, that then I just don't see the, the the benefit in redshirting running back. So I'd like to see both of them get some opportunities. If you're not and not just in mop up duty, you know, if if they prove themselves capable, give them some opportunities, find a niche for them in some of those. Like we talked about Tyler Buckner, it's not against Wisconsin or USC. It's you know Toledo. Get them some early carries against Toledo. Get them some early carries against you know a Purdue or or Navy or something like that. Those are where I'd like to see those guys get some work. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Brian, David has uh, an interesting question uh, that I want to get to here. He says, Brian and Vincenzo, could ND run four wide receivers and just blaze opponents out and march down the field? General Sherman's scorched earth policy. Let me tell you, there's many reasons I like this question. Number one, I think it's great when you call me Vincenzo. Number two, you brought a social <laughs> studies reference in here, uh, and I love every second of that as well. Um, I, I want to tackle this first. Do, could Notre Dame do that? Do they have the ability to do that? Do they have the guys on the roster to do that? Yes, they absolutely do. And I think that they have the quarterbacks that can pull the trigger and do that. I do. Will they do that? I don't see them doing that. I don't see them taking tight ends off the field. Um, could they do yeah. it with a Michael Mayer potentially, you know, put him in the slot, put him in the boundary as one of those four guys out there catching balls? Yes, I think he could be that guy. Um, but I think what you're thinking about is just four wide receivers. Just 10 guys. personnel. Yeah, yeah, just 10 personnel. And I, they have the ability. I just don't see them pulling that trigger. I, I just that's not in their repertoire of things that they want to do. Um, I just don't see it. And I think there's good reason for that. Uh, you know, I mean, when you look at Notre Dame, I, we've rarely seen them in 10 personnel. I, I think we saw maybe a little in 2016 at, in some two-minute stuff. They're rarely in 10 personnel. And, and I get that because, what, from 2010 to 2012, were you going to take Kyle Rudolph off the field? And right. then he got hurt, and then it was Tyler Eifert's team. Sure. And then you had Troy Nicholas, a second-round pick. And then it was Ben Koyak. And then it was – you know, Alizé Jones, and then it was Durham Smythe, and then it was back to Alizé Jones, and then it was Cole Komet, and this year it was Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble. It's like when you have those guys, I don't know what advantage 10 personnel does for you. And and in a lot of Brian Kelly's tenure at the very beginning, your third tight end was way better than your third and fourth wide receiver. I mean, it's just that was just the case. Just I mean, they, fact, yeah. Right, and so that was early in his tenure. That's not the case in recent seasons. But I just don't know if 10 personnel really adds a lot for you as anything other than like a change up. Look, I always think there's merit to saying, Hey, we're going to throw a little something different at you. Sure. You know, we're going to come out in 10 personnel and, and we're going to have Kevin Austin and Jordan Johnson and Avery Davis and Xavier Watts or Lorenzo styles or Lawrence keys or Joe, or, you know, or Deion Colsey or Joe yeah, you know, right. Wilkins jr. Like pick your four 
and we're going to throw some stuff at you. We're going to go tempo. We're going to push it. We're just going to go a million miles an hour, and we're going to have two calls plays called at once, And which is what teams do. They go tempo. You have two plays called, so you run one, and you know the second call. You just line up and execute that second play. There's no call that needs to be made. Uh, tempo teams do that quite a bit. So I, I think there's always merit to that, but I would I would never push Notre Dame to – you know, I'm all for creativity, but when your creativity tells Michael Mayer to go stand on the sideline, <laughs> I don't know if that's something I necessarily right, right, right. No, want to do very often. Sure. Yeah. Omar has a, a question that I, I do like because uh, we've all seen the pot of gold going out to all the recruits, right? It's been all over social media. Does it include an emphasis on keeping in contact and finishing with top recruits? Yeah, I think it signifies a lot of things, Omar. I think it signifies, number one, Notre Dame's desire and understanding that you have to get involved with top players early. Yes, and you they have are. to. Yeah. And they haven't in the past. And right, so this is one of the changes that Mike Elson is bringing, in my opinion, including we're seeing an expanded recruiting emphasis in Texas. They're offering a lot of kids in Texas. Uh, California, they're getting back to being more volume recruiting in California. In Arizona, we're seeing them make a more of a push. This is the most active Notre Dame has been in Florida in, a, in several years. And I think there was a hesitancy to go back into Florida because they had some guys get in trouble down there. Dexter Williams got in trouble. Tavon Coney got in trouble. Kevin Stepherson got in trouble. Dion McIntosh got in trouble. There's a lot of Kevin Austin got in trouble, and he was from a really good private school. So I think there was some nervousness about going back down there, but I think now they're they're saying, hey, look, we're going to do our due diligence. We're going to get on kids early. We're going to find out who is and isn't a fit, but we got to get involved early if we're going to have a chance. And to your point about does it include keeping in contact and finishing with top recruits, I think we're seeing that, especially on defense. I don't know if we see that on offense yet. Hopefully we'll see that soon. But on defense, I mean, just look at Jalen Snead. I mean, you don't you don't get in the mix where even if he ends up not coming to Notre Dame, you don't get to where they're getting to where the Clemson insider is picking Notre Dame, crystal balling Notre Dame, if you're not putting in the work. Now, they got to close, and and the finishing part of his question, we don't know yet, but it's certainly going to be part of the strategy. And one of the things I like from Mike Elson is, is an emphasis on saying, hey, look, we're Notre Dame. We've been in the playoff two of the last three years. We shouldn't be backing down from anybody on the recruiting trail. If we right. have to back off of a kid because he doesn't fit what we're looking for, that's fine. But we're not going to back off because Ohio State's his leader or Alabama's his leader or Georgia's his leader or LSU's his leader, and he happens to be from Louisiana. We're Notre Dame. We're going to make a run at it because if you don't, you have no shot at getting them, and you're definitely not going to get those guys. So, yeah, that's the plan. Will they be able to pull it off? We'll find out here over these next several months. But – I love the aggressiveness. And look, I've been crushing Brian Kelly for years about his lack of recruiting effort. I have heard more stories in the last month from kids talking about talking to Brian Kelly than I've heard in the last five years possibly combined. I mean, we're here in 2022, kids. Are depressed by that statement. But well, I'm you know what? I'm gonna take the positive from okay. it because right. look, you Here's the thing that why do I hit, hit him or Coach Kelly about certain things? Because I think that if he makes those changes, it's going to be what can take Notre Dame over the top. Because I'm someone who believes you can win a title with Brian Kelly. A lot of people that don't think they're just like, look, he is what he is. He's taking them as far as he can take them. They're not going to win until they go hire another coach. I don't believe that because I don't think he's doing everything possible to get Notre Dame as good as he can get them. And and that's why I've said go back to your roots of Cincinnati offensively with that explosive up tempo, wanting to score points mentality. 
be more aggressive on the recruiting trail because the head coach at Notre Dame carries a stigma, a persona that not many other coaches carry. And so True. when Brian Kelly's on the phone, it's going to carry some, some weight that it doesn't with most coaches. And so that's why it's like, be more involved. So if he's now more involved, I'm not going to hammer him for it. I'm going to say, great, he's listening. He recognizes that they need that that's what's needed for them to take that next step. And that's a great sign. So if we're, he, we're seeing that, we're hearing Tommy Reese telling recruits about they're going to throw the ball more. These are all great signs. Now, uh, I'm kind of in a cautious optimism thing, and, and, right. and we'll see it. You know, yeah. I'll wait till we see it down in Tallahassee if it's going to be there or not. But those are all those are all positive signs. And and I'm not going to you know, if, if I'm going to hammer him for doing something, then he does what I'm telling him he needs to do or I think he should do. I'm not going to then find a negative in that. I'm going to say, look, that's great. Hopefully it continues. But so far, so good. I, I like what I'm seeing from him. Perfect. I'm going to let you read this one because it's a lot of initials and I will never get them all right. <laughs> uh, because It's about recruiting. Uh, Dylan wants. You can go ahead. Of the top three running backs Notre Dame is after, who do you think is most likely to land? I fear that um, that would be Gavin Sawchuck to Oklahoma, Nick Singleton to Penn State, and Dallin Hayden to Ohio State. Of those, I think Hayden compliments Price's game the best thoughts. You know, I, I think I, I think the one that I would agree with you the most on is the one of Gavin Sawchuck to Oklahoma. I think that's probably the most likely. I think Notre Dame is absolutely in the mix for Dallin Hayden and Nicholas Singleton. And Dallin Hayden was at Columbus uh, the other day for an official visit, and then he got in his car and he came up unofficial visit uh, and then got in his car and came up to Notre Dame and visited the Notre Dame campus. So I think Notre Dame is absolutely in the mix for Dallin Hayden. I think that there's a there's a uh, a Notre Dame fans are kind of just giving in. That, oh, Ohio State wants them. So we're, we're, we've got no chance because Tony Alford always beats them. But this <laughs> is a different time at Notre Dame. And, and let's not forget, Ohio State signed two top 50 running backs last year including five-star you know uh, Travion Henderson uh so you know this is a situation where there was I a think, second part of this one and I want to throw it up yeah, as you're talking yeah because yeah. he he followed up with if that's the case should they go after these two guys and who do you like of those of yeah those five? so so I I want them to continue going after the three the big three yeah I don't think they need a second running back in his class. And so I'm not taking a guy that's not better than Jadarian Price. And I don't think Damari Alston and Jabron Payne are better than Jadarian Price. They're good running backs. They're four-star running backs, but they're not better than Jadarian Price. And I just don't think there's – you ha You don't have to take a second running back. I would take a solid depth grad transfer before I would take that because then you can just have another scholarship for 2023. I want them to swing for the fences. I want them to go after Dallin Hayden and Nicholas Singleton and Gavin Sawchuck. And I don't care if those guys commit to those schools. So yeah, if right. they committed to Notre Dame, would Ohio State stop recruiting them? Or right, would Penn exactly. State stop recruiting them? No. So I take your shot with those big three because I think Notre Dame is in the mix with all of them. And, and I think Notre Dame has an absolute legitimate chance to get Singleton and Hayden. And, yes, there's a lot of smoke about them being you know, Penn State for Singleton and Ohio State for Hayden. But I, I'm not sure I buy that yet. I think those kids are very much, very serious about Notre Dame. And now it's up to Lance Taylor and Tommy Reese and the staff to close. But I, I think Notre Dame is a player. And, and honestly, to, to the question, I would not go after those other two right now. I would rather Notre Dame spend between now and December 
trying to flip those guys if they commit somewhere else. That's what I would do. Brian has a question here about recruiting. He says, I was wondering if the new level of recruiting is going to transition to the classroom. We all know if they can't get into class, they won't make it on the field. Um, let me see, keep that up. I'm trying to read through that question again. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> um, I don't, I guess I don't quite understand the question. I, I, mean, I don't think that they would actively, they're not going to actively recruit guys that so, they know can't. So let me, let me, I think, I think, let me kind of read into Brian's question a little bit. And I think it's, it's, you know, they're throwing all these offers out, you know, it's, that's not, that's new for Notre Dame to be throwing out sophomore offers early. So I've done some talking to different people about this and, and we were kind of given a heads up before it was going to happen that, that, you know, we were going to see a real busy Wednesday and, the thing that I've been, I've had people tell me for a couple of weeks now is this was a process that took time to get to. They didn't just like wake up on Monday and say, Hey, let's do a pot of gold on Wednesday and throw out a right. bunch of offers. And I'm not saying Brian's saying that. This is something where they've done their research. They've looked into as best they can the, the academics of these players, the backgrounds of these players, as much as they can as sophomores. I mean, a kid could be a 4.0 as a sophomore, and by the end of his senior year, he's not eligible to get into Notre Dame. A kid could be a 2-3 right now, and by the time he's a senior, could be eligible to get into Notre Dame. It's about the work. And and there's always situations that kind of dictate, okay, why is this kid – why did this kid struggle? I had a kid, for example, that I got into school once where he had a 2.3 GPA, and I was able to convince the admissions department to take him because as a freshman – he was like below a one. I just don't know how they passed him. Like that's a, like, I don't know, but he was going through a, a really rough family situation. And then you saw the rest of his sophomore, junior, senior year, he was all A's and B's. And so you're able to kind of look at that and con now Notre Dame's not getting a kid. That's a two, three. I'm, I'm just using my example of, yeah, you right. know, they're going to look at the entire situation here. Um, and, and I've seen kids get denied at Notre Dame who were originally takes, but they didn't handle their business as seniors in the classroom. And all of a sudden they got their, their, uh, their, you know, their, their scholarships revoked. So scholarship offers revoked. So things can always change, but they've done a lot of homework into these kids that they've offered to the point where they're at least recruitable. Right. Now, some of them may end up not being takes when it's all said and done because they, as they do more homework, but right now these guys have all passed an initial test. And and I and kudos to Notre Dame's recruiting operation for doing all that homework because that's not easy. No. And the problem that Notre Dame's always had is they just they're so focused on that one class. And and I talked about this on a show last night. Is I mean when Lou Holtz was the coach, you know, remember the how big the banquets were because those December postseason banquets because Notre Dame got the vast majority of their class from December to February. That two month period was when right. most of the recruiting happened. Yeah, it's over you, by that. If over. you wait, if you wait till then, now you're gonna have eight kids in your class, right? Right. You know, and you're gonna have like, well, yeah, it's, it's January. Got to flip a couple Indiana State kids because we don't have anybody in our class, right? So uh, it's just sped up so fast, and I think Notre Dame was very slow to react to that. Mike Elson is making sure, as the recruiting coordinator, that that's not going to happen again, and and I think it's nothing but positives. Now back to Omar's question. Will they finish? Will this will this pay off into a better recruiting class? We'll find out. But again, it's a step that we've been advocating that they need to take for years, and and so now that they're taking it, and they're taking it with the weight of two playoff appearances in the last three years, it's going to have an impact. So yeah, I do think this is going to end up paying off for Notre Dame. Brian, uh, 
This is a good question from Connor. Among the uncommitted 22 prospects who are still considering the Irish, which one would you most like to see commit to Notre Dame? And there's some people uh, that are betting what you're going to answer. So, oh yeah, let me see. Let me see the bets. Um, yes, <laughs> that would be one. Kamar well, Rogers would be one. That was the, that was the major one. He go and then Dylan says he's definitely Brian's. So there you go. Oh yeah. Oh, there's hundred percent. I mean, look. If, if hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm these people saying Kamari Rogers, I'm hoping that you guys are saying that because you read my dream class article that I wrote the other day for the defense. And, you know, obviously that's going to be guys that I would like to see them sign. So yeah, let's, uh, let's actually pull that up a little bit and see if you guys can see that. Um, so here's the article I wrote at Irish breakdown the other day, and this is sort of my, my dream class for the Notre Dame defense. And so all these guys that don't have commit by their names are guys that I would like to see Notre Dame sign. There's Kamari Rogers right there. Jair Brown is a cornerback committed to Ohio State. Xavier Nwankpa, Jaden Mangum, and Jake Pope are safeties that I love. Uh, Tui Alamaka, and now Josh Burnham is now a commit. This was written before that. Caleb Artis and Anthony Lucas at D-Tackle and DJ Wesselak at defensive end are guys that I would love to see Notre Dame sign. Now, at the time, I did not really think that that Jalen Sneed is, was a legitimate – like, they're pushing for him, but is he – I mean, I'd love to see him. I mean – you put him or Harold Perkins or Sean Murphy, you add any of those guys into that mix. What I tried to do with that dream class is guys that I actually thought Notre Dame would have a, a real shot to land. Even like a guy like Xavier Nawang, but that's going to be hard. Ohio yeah. State's going to be hard to beat, but they're in it. They're a legitimate player there. Uh, so I try to make it realistic dream class. But if you, if you sign the majority of that class that I just put up there, Good luck finding a, a team in the country that's got a better recruiting class than Notre Dame on defense. That's big time. So those are the guys I'd like to see. Offensively, I would love to see Notre Dame land Xavion Bradshaw from Virginia. And, and he is a dynamic playmaker. And give me one of Andre Green or Tobias Merriweather at outside receiver. If you give me one of those two guys and Xavion Bradshaw, I'm, I'm thrilled with that. They've got to get a big offensive tackle. They've got to get a Zach Rice or a Tyler Booker. Um, those guys have to be in it. Give me a sleeper tackle like a Jake Taylor or George Fitzpatrick. I like those guys. And then at running back, give me one of the big three. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, where you get those guys that I just all talked about. Now, all of a sudden, Notre Dame is, is a legitimate top five caliber recruiting class. But more importantly, besides just the recruiting rankings, that's the kind of class that's adding the impact talent at key positions, receiver, corner, safety, linebacker, defensive end, defensive tackle, where you're saying those dudes can compete against anybody. Anthony Lucas at defensive tackle for you with Gabriel Rubio, you can battle, you can beat anybody. You can go to battle with anybody. You get Kamari Rogers at corner, you can cut, you can play, you can you have guys now that can run with the Devontae Smiths of the world down the road. And that's why it's important. And that's why I love the fact that they're pushing for those kind of players in this class. They're not giving up. Yeah, is it going to be hard to get Kamari Rogers? Heck yes. Would I predict Kamari Rogers to Notre Dame right now? No. If he committed to Notre Dame tomorrow, would I feel great about him signing with Notre Dame in December? No. I'm going to feel good about him picking Notre Dame when his signature comes across. And even then, I'm going to be like, okay, which SEC team is going to try to, you know, get him to get out? You know, that's just how it is down there, right? It's hard to get kids from down there. But I love the fact that they're battling for those guys. And because you're not, you're not going to get them if you don't fight for them. And I, I really like what this defensive staff is doing on the recruiting trail. And it, I'd like to see the offensive staff, you know, be a little bit more effective in that regards. But what we're seeing on defense right now is a lot of fun. And I just – I have confidence that they're going to – I have more confidence in this defensive staff closing on recruits than I have in a 
uh, I mean, really, defensive staff probably ever. The closest thing we saw was that 2018 staff, that one year with Mike Elko. Well, he was really good. You know, he was a really good recruiter. But now you've got Mike Elko, a Mike Elko type recruiter, and Marcus Freeman. But now you've got Mike Mickens. You know, you've got Mike Elston with what he's been able to do as a coach has now upped his profile with recruits. Because you're like, look what he's done with, not, you know, four star, three star players. He's turning. Guys like Adi Ogandiji into NFL players. He's, you know, Khalid Kareem was a barely a top 250 guy. He's turning him into an NFL player. Julian Aguar wasn't ranked in the top 300. He turned him into an NFL player. What could he do with you? You know, and I think that's only helped us profile. So this is a very dynamic young and young defensive recruiting staff. We got an interesting one here from, from Dylan, and I want to throw it out and see what your thoughts are on it. Uh, he says, can you explain why Clemson has only offered around 55 to 60 players uh, for the class of 22, and Notre Dame is over 150. I've got a pretty good idea where you're going to go with this, but I want to hear what you have to say. You take a shot at it, Vince. Uh, I, I, I feel like Clemson's in a different place than Notre Dame when it comes to recruiting. They can be more selective. I mean, that, that, that's how I feel. They're, they're down in pretty fertile territory when it comes to recruiting. They can be more selective. They don't have to put out the amount of offers that Notre Dame does to make sure that they're in on some kids they can be selective because they know that as soon as they offer a lot of these kids, they're in the top three, just like that. Or they'd commit. Well, yeah, or they they'd commit. commit. Yeah, exactly. Does that, that sound accurate? Yeah, it is. And I think the thing you have to think about geographically, I, I think it was the 20, around the 2017, 2018 season, we were having a debate about Clemson and Notre Dame recruiting. And, and I did a breakdown and I don't know what it's like now. I'd imagine it's somewhat close, but they've, they've gotten a few California kids and, but I think it's like something like 75 to 80 percent of the scholarship players at Clemson were either from a state that bordered their state or a state that bordered a state that bordered. So like you Virginia. Right. 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 So like you're talking about like they're in South Carolina and North Carolina and Virginia and then Georgia and Florida. And then, you know, and it was like 75 to 80 percent of that is from states that are within two states away from Notre Dame can will never be able to fill a, a championship caliber roster with players from only that region of of indiana so i think that's part of it the other part of it is clemson is in a position where they don't have a lot of need for numbers in this class it's going to be a smaller class and so they don't need to offer as many guys and i think this is what notre dame needs to do to your point vince notre dame's not a team that has two titles under their belt if notre dame had two titles under their belt they could be a little bit more picky when it came to recruiting just look what happened after the 1988 championship you know when you had vinnie serrano i mean all of a sudden notre dame's landing like the number one class every year they were just coming out of the Jerry Faust era, you know. So when you win, you know, it's it's like if you win, they'll come. I mean, that's you know, we should make a, a movie with Kevin Costner about this. You know, you'd be the head coach of Notre Dame and win a championship, and all of a sudden they all want to come. That's just a, that's just how it is, right? He's a good coach now, unfortunately. But yes, huh? you're right. I say he can't be an athlete anymore. Well, that's he, why I said coach, yeah, you know, yeah. it's having to be the coach. Um so I, it's just a different world when you've won two titles, when you've been in the playoff every year that they've had yeah. a college football playoff, except for the first year. Uh, you've won two titles. You've put how many guys in the first in the NFL draft? You can be a lot more picky. And I think that's where Clemson is right now. Combination of that plus smaller class is going to equal fewer offers. Mule makes an interesting uh, assessment here about the state of Florida. He says, now is the time to recruit in Florida with Florida State in a state of confusion with their football program. It's a really nice way of describing. Mule, I appreciate your kindness towards the Florida State program because <laughs> that is about as nice of a thing as you could say of their program right now. That is a fact. Yeah, and, you know, Miami's not super strong right now either. Uh, Florida 
is in the right, going in the right direction. I would say. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, Miami's just kind of good, but they're not the program they used to be. They don't sure. carry the same swagger on the recruiting trails they used to. The, the thing that's different now, though, than it was 20 years ago, is now everybody recruits Florida. I mean, so it's not just Florida State. I mean, if it's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's Georgia, it's LSU. Everybody's recruiting Florida. So you're going up against the big boys. And honestly, those teams like Alabama and Florida and Georgia are going to carry a lot more weight in that state than Florida State is right now. I would I would imagine. I would imagine. But Florida State's still going to throw some weight around. The, the thing, Florida's just such a unique entity. Look, I've recruited the state of Florida at different schools. I used to I went I played uh was going to play my senior year of high school football down in Florida. I my high school coach my junior year got a D coordinator job. I was going to move down there and and try to go. I had to go through an appeal process. So I went through spring ball and I ended up, you know, my appeal got denied. So I had to go back to Virginia, but it's just like, that's a different animal down there, man. I mean, I was, I was at a private school and I remember being in English class one day and the prof- the teacher looks at me and she goes, Hey, look, we're not doing anything important today. If you want to go work out, I was like, what? <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, it's a different world down there, man. And, and it's just, it's just, it's a harder place for Notre Dame to get a foothold. And it's a little harder to find the kind of guys that are going to really fit in at Notre Dame. We've Mm -hmm. seen Notre Dame's got private school guys that have come up to Notre Dame and had a hard time with that transition. So you have to be a little bit more picky in Florida, but to your, to Mule's point, I do think that they need to, to try to hit it hard to where find that two or three guys that fit at Notre Dame and go get them hard. And, and, and Mule's right. This is the time to do that because, Miami is not the U anymore, at least not like they were. Florida State's not, you know, the machine that they were under Bobby Bowden. And right. and Florida's on their way up, but it's still not the machine it was with Ur- when Urban was there. As the and, it's, and it's not all three at the same time like it was for a while. You know yes. what I mean? I mean, in the late 80s, early 90s, it's like they were all great. You right. know what I mean? Florida, Florida State, and Miami were top 10 every year. Yeah. So if just and, one is great – you, there's still a lot of wiggle yeah. room. But remember, Lou Holtz had success going down to Florida to get kids. I mean, you know, Derek Brown was a starter on that national championship team from Florida. So they got plenty of Florida kids. And, and there are kids down there to be had, but you got to really work. I mean, you got to turn over a lot of stones and do a lot of homework. And I don't think the previous staffs had enough workers to do that. I think when you add Mike Mickens, when you add Marcus Freeman, when you add Chris O'Leary, who is going to actually be, I think, the point man, in Florida, he coached at a D2 school down there. The reason that's important, because recruiting at a D2 school means you need to go everywhere. Yep. You need to be in the in the, in the the coach's office of every school in the state yep. if you're going to get any of those kids. True. So there's going to be some relationships there. He understands, okay, this school is going to be a little tougher. This school is one I think we can have some success with because I know the coach. He makes the kids go to class. You know, whereas this coach, I know he doesn't really care about academics, so his kids aren't going to be doing what they need to do. Though that's a good thing to know. That's a good thing to have to, to your advantage. So I think that's where a guy like Chris O'Leary could have some success and be an asset down there. So yeah, guys are down there to be had, but it's it's a little tougher state than than you know, like going to Atlanta where you've got all this talent in one small area, and Atlanta has so many better schools like the school districts are better especially the private schools i mean yeah. there's so, there's so much more loaded talent just in that atlanta area at private schools than you're going to find in most of the state of florida i mean florida has some i mean there's aquinas you know there's img but atlanta's just got all these and they're not the football powers that you see in florida they're just you know kyle hamilton was from a private school kj wallace tommy tremble went to a private school i think until his i think his last year he went to a private school 
Uh, guys that they're recruiting now are from private schools, and they've just had so much more success down there in Atlanta. And a lot of those kids aren't necessarily grown, born and raised in Atlanta, where in Florida there's a lot more loyalty to right. staying in the South. Right. And there's a lot more desire to stay in the South because, you know, a lot of those guys like me, I didn't travel. I didn't, my parents didn't have the money to travel a lot. I didn't go out to California and Texas and all those places. So, you know, our, our vacations were, we drove to Virginia to see family. And then when we moved to Virginia, we drove to Ohio to see family. That was our vacations, you know? Um, So yeah, I I think that uh, it's just a tougher haul, but you've got, it's, there's just too much talent there to completely ignore it. And they've, they've ignored it in recent seasons. They're not doing that now, and that's a, that's a good thing to see. Matty K has a recruiting question that we got to throw up here. I know he probably won't commit to ND, but what are you hearing about the big tackle, Rice? I thought ND was in his top three. I think they are in his top three. I just don't know if they're – I mean, you could say, like, are they in his top three, and it's like, boy, it's a really close battle between one, two, and three. Yeah, uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case right now, but – but honestly, Matty, I mean, I think right now it's it's difficult to to get a grasp on a lot of these things because he's never visited Notre Dame. And until he does, it's going to be difficult to really have a good read on where he is. I don't think he's in any hurry to commit. That's at least what I've heard, which is good. If the NCAA opens things up this summer, like we're hearing they might, that's going to be the best chance. There's going to be so much movement with kids and, and who they like and kids decommitting and flipping and all this kind of stuff. Not at Notre Dame, just nationally when they start opening visits up again yeah. because kids who maybe like Notre Dame, but you know, they're third or fourth, but you know, all of a sudden that kid gets on campus and it's like, okay, done deal. And that's what happened with Josh Burnham. You know, he visited Notre Dame's campus, got to see the culture and was like, yep, yeah, this is where I'm going. If he, if he wasn't, you know, he's able to do that because he's in driving distance from yeah, Notre Dame. He's not that far away. Right. Lynchburg, Virginia's driving distance, but it's a long drive. You know, right. Right. it's not a drive that you necessarily are going to just take just to do a quick, you know, visit the campus deal like, when hey, you can't meet the coaches. What are we doing today? Oh, let's go. Yeah, like, let's drive over. No, no, you, you're not going to do on that. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a tough one. And I'm not liking where Notre Dame is with the top tackles, Tyler Booker and Zach Rice. There, there, there's some work to do. Zach, Jack Taylor, uh, Jake Taylor, I don't think they're – I think Oklahoma leads for him right now. But they're at least within striking distance, and that's the good thing. You, you need to be in striking distance when things open back up again because then it's going to be a lot easier for you to go from third to first as right. opposed to seventh and you're not really trying to first. Yeah. So they're putting in the work. Uh, it's just – you know, they're just having a tough time really connecting with those kids. Cause again, offensive linemen care so much about the relationship with the, the line coach. And when you can't meet them and you can't meet them in person and you haven't been around them coaching, it, it's a, it's a difficult deal. So I'm not going to hammer coach Quinn too much yet, but they, they need to pick it up and, and get back in with some of these guys. And Zach Rice is one of those types of players. Brian, we already kind of hit the Kamari Rogers question, but we've kind of got an either or here for you from Jack. He goes, who's more, Who's a more important target for the Irish staff? Do you, uh, who do you think oh. would better pick up Anthony Lucas or Kamari Rogers? See, Jack's Jack's hurting me right now because he knows those are my top two guys on defense right now. <laughs> um, honestly, Jack, I'd say Kamari Rogers. And and look, I think Anthony Lucas is a game changer at defensive tackle, but that hasn't really been an issue for Notre Dame. Finding really good defensive tackles hasn't been an issue for Notre Dame. I mean, they've got Gabriel Rubio. They've got Jason Adamiola they were able to get. Riley Mills is a top guy. Uh, Jacob Lacey was a top recruit. They've been able to get really good defensive tackles. Recruiting elite corners has been a much more difficult challenge. So that's the only reason I'd go with Kamari Rogers is because he's more of a rare pickup for Notre Dame than Anthony Lucas. 
I think even Tyson Ford is a is a top hundred defensive end that's already six five two fifty. We don't know if he's not going to outgrow defensive end and eventually play inside a defensive tackle. So uh, I believe in defensive tackle is incredibly important to an elite defense. We've talked about this, but I think Notre Dame's done a pretty darn good job with Mike Elson in recent seasons of of identifying, recruiting, and landing top defensive tackles. I mean, we talked when we did our preview of we expect this to be a strength of the team this season. They're three, four deep there. They're not three, four deep in, you know, top players at corner. They've got a couple guys we hope pan out, but after that, it's like, you know, fingers crossed, I hope Ramon Henderson's better than I think he's going to be kind of thing. Kamari Rogers changes all of that. I mean, he is a legitimate elite five-star caliber player and that's just not a position where Notre Dame has been landing a lot of those types of guys all right I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question and then I've got a bug out here uh but uh this is a really good one and you and I kind of talked about it when we I, I don't know if we were talking about the secondary or we were talking about Kyle Hamilton or what but John uh says what has to happen to put Hamilton at the rover position will that better highlight his skill set how on the roster spring fall can or who I'm sure I'm guessing that's meant to be who who on the roster in the spring fall can step up enough to cover the responsibility Hamilton leaves at safety. And I I'm going to get my two cents in here before I take off. The issue isn't where is the where is his best skill set? The issue is that the depth chart at safety. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you take Kyle Hamilton away from safety, who are you replacing him with? And that's a huge question mark. And that would be too big of a drop off to experiment with Kyle Hamilton at Rover, in my opinion. I I, I I agree. I also think that I still prefer a guy like Kyle Hamilton to be a a guy that's further away from the ball. I just I think you can be more versatile with him. You can move. It's harder to move a rover around. You you kind of sure. always want to have him as that field player, right? As a back end safety, whether it's a free or a strong boundary field, whatever. I just feel like there's more value to to Kyle Hamilton specifically. Now, what I have said before is if you could give me a couple Kyle Hamiltons, I'm going to move one of them down to rover. And I think Kyle Hamilton could be a great rover. I just don't think Notre Dame is anywhere near good enough at those other positions. Even if Houston Griffith is everything I think it could be, it's like, okay, well, he's got one of those spots. Where's the other one going? You right. know, and and I just don't see the, the talent and the depth at that position after the first couple guys that says you, you can do that. And I think playing Rover would allow defenses to avoid Kyle Hamilton a little bit more than they can as him as a safety. And you could have maybe got away with that if you had another another Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa playing somewhere, but they don't have that. So right. um I, I would I'm so I, I get it, John. I'm so intrigued of the thought of Kyle Hamilton being a rover. I think he we've talked about this before. He'd have 80 plus tackles, 13 plus tackles for loss, four or five sacks. I mean, he'd be a monster there, but I just don't think you have the I mean, there's there's just no one that has the talent, in my opinion, to step up and be good enough because this is a very of safety is a very important position. It's not as safety driven as it was before, but it's still a very important position in this defense. And I just don't think you can, you can take the chance of moving Kyle Hamilton unless you've got another Kyle Hamilton type of player behind him in Notre Dame. Notre Dame just doesn't have that. So Vince, you got a roll. I'm going to wrap up these last couple I'm questions at, uh, here. 152, uh, just sir, you know, over there, the time wise is where the comments were. So gotcha. But uh, you know, all right, everybody. Thank you. I love it. And, uh, I'll be sure to talk to you guys soon. Thanks, guys. Here's a team question. Don't we uh, need Reese to run more RPOs on offense? Yes. That is one of those things we talked about earlier would be a a big part of Notre Dame being more effective on offense is to have more RPOs, uh, just being a more dynamic, getting the ball in the perimeter. Notre Dame has to do more to attack the perimeter of the opposing defenses with things other than the run game. 
that's really what it comes down to. Uh, here we go. Ryan Horn. Think we're in trouble if Mayer has a sophomore slump or an injury. Uh, Talent-wise, I think they'll be okay. I mean, it's like, is anybody else on the roster as good as Michael Mayer? No. Uh, but when you've got George Takas and Kevin Bauman and even the freshman Kane Barong, you've got enough talent, in my opinion, at tight end that you're still going to be pretty good there. You're not going to be – you're not going to have that guy that's going to be your alpha that we've talked about that that Michael Mayer could be, but you're going to have plenty of talent at that position, and, and they'll be fine. You know, he won't be there. That new guy won't be their number one player, but they'll be fine. And honestly, I'm not overly concerned with Michael Mayer seeing a sophomore slump. Uh, I just think that position is too important. I think he's too talented. Um, you know, I just I don't I don't see that happening. But an injury is the thing that I think is I'm more concerned about because he that's the kind of thing where you could see, you know, you could see a scenario in which there's just not going to be the same level of production, but the production will still be good enough to complement the other receivers. But what would happen there, Ryan, is you'd have to have – now there's more pressure on the receivers to step up. There's more pressure on a Kevin Austin or a Jordan Johnson to step up, for Avery Davis to take his game to another level, for Braden Lindsay to be more impactful, things along those lines. Those things would have to happen if Notre Dame is going to be effective with Michael Mayer going down. Let's see here if we have a couple more questions here. Yes. Um, uh, David Knight asks, is there any way on God's green earth we can get Singleton and Hayden? I'm guessing not, but is even possible? It's not possible numbers-wise. Uh, Notre Dame doesn't have the room and scholarship room um, to be able to do that. That's just not a move. That's just not a move um, that I think that they could make. Let's see here. Um uh so brian we asked that question um yeah here we go running back i'll be upset if we don't get to see audric estimate truck people this season P potentially potentially i i but i would say logan Diggs is even more physical as a senior than estimate was if if you're if just kind of what i saw from them on senior film audric will hit people don't get me wrong well, the thing i like about both of them is they can also make people miss you know they're not going to make a living out of it but they audric estimate's got some tony jones in them you know, tony had great feet and go ask USC about him uh, him making people miss when they did it. So let's go back here. A um, uh, couple thing here. All right, Jack Sullivan, we got to your question. Um, here we go. Dylan Hoffman, uh, love uh, at your dream class. I love Brown and Rogers. Was wondering why Keenan Nelson does not get mentioned. Does Indy have no interest? He has tightened coverage and looks to enjoy tackling. Couple things as to why Keenan Nelson. He's from Saint. Jo he's from the. I think he goes to Saint Joseph's Prep in Philly, but he's a Philly kid. He's a good player. I like Keenan Nelson. Number one, I don't think Notre Dame's a legitimate player for him right now. Uh, he's. I'm hearing a lot about Penn State with him. Uh, you know, you look at this, the crystal balls and the trending and things like that. I haven't really got it. specific information to me. It's more stuff I see it at 24-7 and see on Twitter. But I, I also don't think he necessarily fits that that kind of cornerback that I'm looking for, per se, like a Kamari Rogers. Uh, the reason I mention Brown over Nelson. So Kamari Rogers is just a different player than Nelson. He is a pure cover guy. He, to me, is arguably the best corner in the country. And he certainly has, in my opinion, the highest ceiling of any cornerback in the country. So he is in a different stratosphere. I think with Brown and Nel Br Nelson, I, if, if they got Nelson instead of Brown, I'd be fine with that. I'd be happy about that. The reason he doesn't get mentioned is I just don't think – I think he's in – I think Notre Dame made his top 12. But if I had to guess, they're in his bottom five as opposed to being near the top. Now, if that changes, you know, obviously we'll let you know. But right now I just don't see that as being – 
um, as as being a uh, you know, I think it's just it's going to be a little tougher. All right, here we go. Brandon asks, "What are what about Cyrus Moss?" Brian loves him. Yes, I do. I think he's a dynamic, dynamic player, and I just don't think Notre Dame right now is 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 a legitimate player for him. I think they've tried, but I think the fact that he hasn't been able to get on campus is kind of have them on the outside looking in. Now, the encouraging thing is I did a little digging on this last week, and they're going to continue to recruit Cyrus Moss to the end. The reason that they're pushing for other ends right now is because they're being realistic about where they stand with Cyrus Moss, and they can't put all their eggs in the Cyrus Moss basket and then miss out on other players. What I think you'll see them do is, is if they can get another top end, a DJ Wesolak, a Teva Tafiti, a guy like that, they're not going to stop recruiting Cyrus Moss, and they'll make room for him. So that I like. I do like that strategy. I would rather them see them do that um, than to see a situation where they they pass on guys. So um, that that's kind of where I'm at with with that one. Here we go. Um, Tafiti or Wesolak, Sneeder Cheeks. Do you think it'll come down to one or the other with either of those skill positions? I think I think it will. Tafiti and Wesolak. I think there's a scenario in which I you could take Sneed and Cheeks. You know, because I we talked about this with Josh Burnham. Josh Burnham can play Mike linebacker. So then you have Sneed and Cheeks could play those other positions and could play together. I just think if Tui Alamaka commits, then now it comes down to Sneed or Cheeks. There's been a lot of mention about Notre Dame taking five linebackers in this class. I'd love to see it if you can get the right five. I just don't know how you can make that work scholarship numbers wise. I just. I think Notre Dame is going to have a hard time getting that that number at linebacker and still meeting their needs at running back, offensive line, defensive line, corner, safety, and all those types of things. Um, let's see if we have any. Uh, DBZ, here we go. Uh, if the offensive philosophy changes, do you think we can have 2,000-yard rushers and a 1,000-yard receiver? Um I don't I don't about the first one definitely. I, I think if they if they ran I think if they ran an offense like North Carolina's where it's it's about a volume of plays, you know, go tempo, push the tempo, be an RPO team, be a team that's going to really look to attack and be explosive. Could they have 2000-yard backs? Absolutely. You know, Kyron Williams got 1000 last year. He would he would get 1000 and then Chris Tyree could get 1000, but the thing about Chris Tyree is he doesn't need as many touches to get to a thousand. And when you looked at North Carolina's running backs last year, you know, Kyron Williams were averaged 5.3 yards per carry. And when, when you look at North Carolina with those two backs, they had, cause you're, you're talking, I mean, I think what you're pointing to when I think of your question, DBC is that I think of North Carolina, cause that's exactly what they had last year. They had 2000 yard running backs in Michael Carter and Javante Williams. And then Deami Brown had a thousand yards receiving Michael Carter averaged eight yards a carry. And Javante Williams averaged 7.3 yards per carry. I think what would happen is, is you wouldn't see Kyron Williams necessarily get more touches. You just see him be more efficient and explosive with those touches because the offense would give him more room to work because they're protecting things a little bit more. Um, and then when you look at like receiving, they had Deami Brown at 1,000 yards. He barely went over 1,000 in 11 games. That's pretty good. I think Notre Dame is going to be a little bit more spread out with their production. I mean, North Carolina had a bunch of guys at over 200 yards. They only had two guys at over 400 yards. I think Notre Dame would spread the ball around a little bit more. I think Notre Dame's backs would get a lot of touches, as did North Carolina's. Um, but you also, you know, in the tight ends, it's hard to get a thousand yards as a tight end, and Notre Dame's best receiver is going to be a tight end next year. So if it happens and we do get a thousand yard receiver and two thousand yard backs, Notre Dame is going to go undefeated in the regular season. And 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 I would say that Notre Dame team excuse me, is going to have a chance to play with anybody because I think the talent is there for them to be a dynamic offense. And if they're getting that kind of production at running back and receiver, 
that tells me this team is scoring well over 40 points a game and has really put it all together. And the offensive lines a lot has grew up quickly. And Jack Cohn has made, I mean, it's all things would have to kind of go right for that to happen. Tracy Tipton, who is our best chance of landing a top wide receiver? For me, it's it's Tobias Merriweather, Andre Green, or two guys that are top receivers from a ranking standpoint. I think Tobias Merriweather is a top 100 guy. Andre Green's a top 150 guy. Those are very, very good players. Those are guys that I view as needle mover type of outside receivers. But I honestly graded Xavion Bradshaw out as better than all of them. Uh, I mean, than both of those guys. I mean, he is a special, special player. Yes, he's a three-star player, so I wouldn't call him a top player from a recruiting ranking standpoint, Tracy, but what I, I would count him as a top player when I look at him. I mean, he is a Jeremiah Wusu kind of guy that, yes, he may not be highly ranked, but good Lord, that's some serious athleticism and talent there, and he just knows how to play football. So um, I would uh, I would say that would be that would be something that I would look at and say, those would be guys. If you give me Xavion Bradshaw and either Tobias Merriweather and Andre Green, I'm happy with that receiving core. When you complement it with Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles and Jane Thomas last year, and then Jordan Johnson, Xavier White, Watson, Jay Brunel the year before, that's three years in a row of really, really good wide receiver play. So I would be, I would be very, very happy with happy with that. Jack Sullivan asks. Blake Fisher looks very lean from all the photos posted on Twitter, which I think is a good sign. What are the chances he gets the Hainsey treatment this season? I would not have any problem seeing that. Whether it's a tackle or guard, I don't care. If, if Blake Fisher is ready to play, then you find a role for him. Because, look, Jack, I think you would agree with this. If Blake Fisher's as good as, as – and you and I have talked about Blake Fisher. If he's as good as we think he is, he's not playing five. You're hoping he stays four years. He's definitely not staying five. And so, yeah, get him some work. Get him an opportunity. Use him, like you mentioned, to Robert Hainsey. And even if you're not going to go every other series, at least maybe every third, every fourth, at tackle or guard, get him on the field because he can be a difference maker. I mean, he was my number one ranked offensive recruit. He's the kind of guy that could be you – know, he could be a an, your next All-American, your next great All-American, and, and he's a big physical kid. He's athletic for his size. He is one of those guys that's going to be very hard to keep off the field, and, and I would like to see him be treated at, on the offensive line like we've talked about with Tyler Buckner, which is even if you don't think he's good enough – or not good enough, even if you don't think he's ready to start, you still find a role for him because when the light goes on for him, he's not just a good blocker. He could be an, a great elite blocker. He could be a Ronnie Stanley. He could be a Quentin Nelson. He could be a Mike McGlinchia, Liam Eikenberg, meaning he is a, just that elite, dominant, all-American caliber player – and you know that's you need that on the offensive line. You absolutely need that. Let's see if you have any other questions. Uh, here we go. All right, uh, Avery Davis, uh, James Taylor. I think if this is uh, if this is is this you, Trey? Because I you saw that Waffle House comment earlier. So we'll we'll still go to Waffle House. I just can't drink pop with it. Uh, Avery Davis coming back to school. Do you feel uh, based off recent history that automatically would take away from younger, more talented players? Based on what we've seen, yeah. I mean, him coming back means that they're not going to play other guys. I'm hoping that they don't do that. I'm hoping that they use him in different ways, but also use more rotation. And that's also partly why I really want to push, have them push the tempo because you'll see them get five to eight extra snaps per game if they push the tempo. And and what that does is it does two things. Number one, that's five to eight more reps that you can split up from other players. Number two, I think you're going to see them blow teams out more. The teams that they've been beating 31 to 13 and 27 to 13 are teams that are going to blow out more, which then 
gives them an opportunity for more games to get those young players in the game. And then that's when your chance, hey, this guy got in in the fourth quarter of this game and he really looked good. And that's one of the things that helped Ian Book back in 2017, if you remember. He got in in some of those games against Miami of Ohio and in some of those early season blowout games, and, and he did some nice things. Had a nice long – I think it was Miami of Ohio. He had a really long run um, and uh, and looked impressive. And so it's like, hey, this this kid's got a shot. So then when Brandon Wimbush started to struggle, they felt confident putting and booking the game. Didn't work out well at first against Miami, but by the time we got to the bowl game, we saw what he was able to do against LSU. Uh, so yeah, that's why I thought. Don't worry, we'll still we'll still next time I'm, I'm we're we're in the same city. We'll still do Waffle House. I just I just have to have water, milk, or something instead of uh, instead of pop. So uh, I think that is it. I have, Tracy says I have a feeling Blake Fisher will be a top ten pit, top ten or top five pick. That's exactly the what I agree. I mean, he's got that kind of talent, Tracy. And that's the thing is you you get him ready to play. You get him out there. You give him that opportunity. And you say, look, you, what kind of mentality do you have? What kind of mental toughness do you have? Do you have the will, ability to go out there and maybe you're not at your best, but you're still going to give me your best effort and be effective and be successful? Then, then, that's, then, then he has the mental makeup that you need. And that's how you really challenge a guy more than anything is to do that. And so uh, I want to see him get that opportunity. I mean, look, it's not like he's not physically ready to play. He's 330 pounds. Um, so, I, yeah, I absolutely think he's ready to play. It's just mentally how quickly he's going to pick up the scheme and the coaching. And that's always something you look at with offensive linemen because offensive line is such more of a technical-driven position where at receiver it's like, okay, maybe a guy isn't a great route runner. He only knows three or four plays. You get him out there and you let him execute those three or four plays. If an offensive lineman only knows three or four plays, and you, you can't just run those three or four plays for an entire game, now all of a sudden you know he's getting your quarterback hurt or he's getting your running back drilled and things like that. You need a guy that can execute at a higher level than you can at another position. But I do think there's a need to say, hey, look, if if you know, let's teach him a few things, and for a few series of game, we can work on there, and we can really hammer the zones and the play actions and things like that. And then as he gets more and more comfortable in the offense, you can you can have him then take that next step. Robert Hainsey was a different case because he was an IMG guy. He was he was really well-schooled when it came to the mental part of the game as well. And so that's why he had a leg up on most of the guys that have come to Notre Dame. And, I mean, Quentin Nelson didn't play as a freshman. Mike McGlinchey didn't play as a freshman. Liam Meikenberg didn't play as a freshman. Nick Martin didn't play as a freshman. Ronnie Stanley barely saw the field as a freshman. So it would be unique, and it's why it doesn't happen very often. But I think Blake Fisher is the kind of guy that would have the ability to do so. And I, I think Rocco Spindler could help out as a freshman too, especially inside because there's a lot more question marks in, inside at guard than there are at tackle right now. So it looks like that is it. Uh, if any of you that are listening have any more questions as I scroll through these to make sure I, I didn't miss any, feel free to ask. I want to make sure I get all your questions. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up here soon. Um, let's see here. We got the uh, – we got the question about Hamilton at Rover, Keenan Nelson, Kamari Rogers, Anthony Lucas. I think we got all of these. Um, all right, Mule Skinner. And we got your question about Florida. I got it. Yep. Um, I think we have everything that you guys asked about. If I missed something and you asked earlier, give it to me again and I will ask it. Let's see here. Wrapping up. I believe that's it. So that's it for the questions today. If you guys don't have anything else, that is going to do it for today's show. Obviously, make sure that you are subscribed to our YouTube channel. Hit that notifications bell so that way you are alerted every time we put a new video up. 
subscribe to the Irish Breakdown podcast wherever you get your podcasts and check out irishbreakdown.com. I got some I had a meeting this past week. I think we're very very close to getting a message board back on our site, which I'm very excited about. So keep an eye out for that here over these next couple of weeks. I'm, I really really hope that we get back to that. I also had an idea I wanted to run by y'all and you let me know if this is something you're interested in. What I thought is we could do some shows where uh, maybe we could, you know, break down some film, you know, just get on. Hey, look, we're going to talk about Dante Moore, the 2023 quarterback, and I'm just going to put the film up and we're going to talk through the film. And here's what I like. And here's here's those kind of things. This is more technical driven. So I would love some feedback on Twitter or um, Facebook or or just hit me up with a, with a private email or message and let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. Uh, Dylan Hoffman, real quick, asked a question. Got in late, Dylan. Will Buckner pass Pine on the depth chart this year, in your opinion? I don't know. I think it's certainly possible. Uh, I think Tyler Buckner's obviously talented enough to do that, but Drew Pine's not going to go down without a fight. And I know he doesn't have the size. He's not the runner and all that, but that's a really smart kid that knows how to throw the football. He is not going to go down and just easily get passed over like I think a lot of people are thinking he will. That doesn't mean Tyler Buckner won't eventually pass him up because Tyler Buckner is a special talent. But if if Tyler Buckner passes up Drew Pine as a freshman, that means Tyler Buckner's legit because Drew Pine's a really good football player. Um, so, yeah, so I'll look into that. We'll, we'll try those out. We'll try some of those film breakdowns. I'll probably do them at night um, just because I think more people will be able to spend some time on it and allows us to get through some work. So I'm, I'm going to look into that and just kind of do like a live film room uh, and, and we'll break those things down and, and, uh, and go from there. So if you guys like that, be on the lookout. I'm going to put some up on Twitter about that here soon. We may, we may try that next week and just see what kind of attendance we get and, uh, and see how it goes. So let me know. And then what we can do is can ask questions afterwards and those kind of things. Um, and say, Hey, look, we, I broke down the film. If you have a question while we're watching it, if you know, things like that, we can do it. So I think that'd be a lot of fun. If that's something you guys are interested in, you know, I love watching film. So of course we'll do that. So anyway, everybody have a great, great weekend. All the guys and gals that listen to the show, Doya Bird, I Doy Bird, I told you we're gonna give you some love. I didn't see a question from you, but but I know you're watching and we appreciate uh ladies like you that watch our show and uh really appreciate you guys being a part of this community. We're really trying to, to grow it and it's grown a ton this last month. I mean, our site, we're already past in, in March, we're already past where we were last March and page views uh are we've tripled our numbers on our YouTube subscription, our our podcast is is really going off i mean we went a couple days where we didn't have a podcast and our numbers were still in downloads because people were listening and we're so appreciative of that from y'all especially in this off season we really appreciate your guys's loyalty to what we're doing and just being a part of what we're doing and and it's just it makes it a lot more fun so thank you all for being a part of the show we will be back with y'all very soon have a great safe weekend hopefully it's good weather where you guys are and we'll talk to you soon about notre dame football
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.